Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We are live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. Round two coverage of the NBA playoffs here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? Two incredible games. The Lakers, a play, two different, completely, two completely different styles going at it at Chase Center in San Francisco. We're going to break down every single angle from that game. And then Eric Spolstra tried to whip out his uh, chess master card and, and beat the uh, uh, New York Knicks and MSG and almost did it. I have some thoughts on that game as well. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Last but not least, you guys have heard me talk about Game Time, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. If you're looking to get out to an NBA game or an NHL game, a baseball game, or even a concert or comedy show, Game Time has amazing last minute deals on tickets to all of these. So if you're looking to get out to catch a second round NBA playoff game, Game Time has you covered. If you're looking to get out to a Major League Baseball game, which is increasingly harder and harder to find on television for whatever reason, bold marketing strategy that it is, you can find tickets on Game Time to Major League Baseball games as well. They've taken amazing care of me in the past. You're going to find a great deal. You're going to find a great seat. And overall, it's going to be a very smooth user experience for you guys. I highly recommend you try it. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the Game Time app, enter your email, and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, enter your email and code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let us talk 
some basketball. So, you know, one of the things that I used to say a lot uh, during the playoffs, uh, playoffs last year is like, there's this cliche, right? Styles make fights. Um, and this is kind of a perfect example of that because you have two completely different styles, right? You've got this rim assault team in the Los Angeles Lakers full of guys that that constantly apply pressure on the rim. LeBron James and Anthony Davis, obviously Dennis Schroeder to a certain extent. Rui Hachimura plays a power game that tries to get close to the rim. And even D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves are pick-and-roll ball handlers that prefer to get as close to the rim as possible. They're constantly trying to advance towards the basket. And the Warriors, while they will, while they will take rim opportunities that are there, they play that as a counter to their three-point attack. They're hunting three-point shots from their guards. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people will be like, oh, we're going to go small so we can play that big team off the floor. Or a big team will say, we were going to play big so that we can force them to size up and compete with us. And usually it has a lot less to do with what the specific styles are and what their weaknesses and strengths are and just who's doing a better job. And there's going to be a push and pull in this series that you will see. In the games where the Lakers are super engaged defensively and are very, very relentless with their attack of the rim, they are going to have a ton of success. And in the games where the Warriors are able to shake free from the weakness of the Laker defense, which is typically their perimeter defenders, although we're going to talk about Jared Vanderbilt and the job he did tonight, they're going to have a lot of success. There's going to be a push and pull when the skill wins, the Warriors will win. When the size and power wins, the Lakers will win. And round one goes to the Lakers. There's so many different angles I want to I want to hit from this. I, I want to talk about some game plan stuff, some matchups that we kind of saw coming um, in our uh, series preview. I thought Golden State unlocked a couple of different things in the towards that uh, towards the end of that fourth quarter. As a Lakers, as someone who's rooting for the Lakers, I will tell you that I cannot think of a team that's more terrifying than Golden State down 10 in the fourth quarter. Why? They're the team, one of the teams that I covered so closely this year. And I can't tell you how many times they came back from 10 down, including in a game against Milwaukee this year. Without Giannis, they came back, what, down eight with like less than two minutes left? Like the, the Warriors are never dead. But in the process of that comeback in that fourth quarter, I thought they, I thought we learned some things about weaknesses in the Lakers and a way for Golden State to counter some of the defensive stuff that the Lakers were doing. But I want to start with the Lakers on the defensive end. I want to start with the the uh, the dynamic of Jared Vanderbilt. So, you know, there is generally speaking running a drop coverage, uh, and again, drop coverage implies that the defend the center is sitting back. But let's just call it a, tradi- a traditional screen and roll coverage where you're asking your guard to chase over the top, and you have your big man somewhere between where the ball handler is and the rim, depending on how much separation the guard gets. Right? Typically, I hate that against a Steph Curry-led offense, especially when he's spamming high pick and roll, which he really didn't do in this game until the very end. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the type of personnel that you have. If your drop coverage big is Al Horford, who is not a guy that's going to be super, uh, that's not going to be much of a pest against a pull-up jump shooter because he's not the best athlete anymore and he's not as big as some of the bigger centers in the league, and you have a small guard, someone like a Derek White or a Marcus Smart chasing over the top, there's not as much length on both ends of that coverage for it to work. But when we sub in Jared Vanderbilt, and we sub in Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, who I believe is the best defensive player in the world when he's locked in, who is much longer and causes a lot more problems in those pull-up jump shooting situations, and Jared Vanderbilt applying back pressure with real length 
suddenly flips that dynamic. So this is where I want to talk about Jared Vanderbilt. Because again, back pressure is very different than front pressure. Why? Because the guard typically can't see it coming, right? So if I'm a guard and I know that I got separation and I'm getting downhill and I've got a small guard chasing me, I know if I elevate into my shot, he's not blocking that thing. But Jared Vanderbilt actually is a super long athlete that's good at fighting over the top of screens and can apply real back pressure on these guys from behind. Again, Steph Curry is the best player in the world, in my opinion, and he's going to win that matchup several times in the series. I'm almost certain of it. But all you can ask as a defender is to make it difficult on him. And he forced Steph Curry into a 10 for 14, a 10 for 24 shooting night and just 27 points on 24 shots, which is far below the normal level of efficiency of Steph Curry. So again, it's just one game. That matchup is going to go a bunch of different directions. And I think we're going to see his very specific counter. But credit to Jared Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis for making that kind of like sandwich coverage, that chase over the top with big man help at the ball screen. And that works the same for off-ball actions as well. It's the exact same concept. Those coverages have the exact same principles in an off-ball setting as well. But... They had a lot of success making things difficult on Steph Curry, and I thought that was one of the foundational pieces to how the uh, the Lakers won game one. Now, the uh, the Warriors went on a run at the end of this game, and there was a couple of different things they did. Three things in particular I want to call attention to. First of all, they switched to a zone. And again, like we're going to talk a lot about zone when we get into the the, the Heat Knicks game, but zone is tricky. It's a tricky balance. If, if zones are designed to give things away at the expense of taking other things away, and so they're more of like a a a solving a puzzle type of thing than a personnel brute force type of thing. And really smart basketball players tend to figure that out. So I'm not sure how much zone they're going to be able to run in the series, but in that small sample size, just as a curveball when you're down double digits in the fourth, I loved the way that it just threw the Lakers off in a small sample size. Then what did the Warriors do? They pushed the ball like crazy in transition when guys were attacking the offensive glass. Guys like Anthony Davis and Jared Vanderbilt, the two guys that were causing so many problems for the Warriors in the coverage, were stuck in the backcourt as the Warriors are running down the floor. And they got a bunch of easy, quick baskets in transition. And then lastly, the last little adjustment that I saw from Golden State, something that I talked about a lot in our series preview. In the series preview, I talked to you guys about how the fundamental defensive principle for the Lakers, which is going to be top lock as much as possible, don't let them use the screens, but if they do happen to get past you, then lock and trail and force them downhill into all of your size. And LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to be ignoring Kevon Looney and Draymond Green every opportunity they get to sag in the paint. And so you'll force them to curl over the top of screens and to back cut and do all these different things that are going to funnel them into all of the size. But if you go to high pick and roll, just give Steph the ball at the top of the key against Jared Vanderbilt, I think they can actually cause the Lakers more problems, and they did. Steph ended up hitting a couple threes at a high pick and roll in this game down the stretch. I think that's going to be a major counter that the Warriors are going to have to go to. Then there's going to be another counter from the Lakers. I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see the Lakers switch and just throw Anthony Davis on Steph, but that provides another predicament for the Lakers because now Anthony Davis is away from the basket dealing with Steph Curry, and if he beats him off the dribble or just simply plays point guard and makes a read to somewhere else, someone else, there's not as much rim protection. But these are, again, I, I these are... Two incredibly good teams that have a bunch of versatility and different punches that they can go to. You're going to see a bunch of different types of games. This game was much more free-flowing, but, you know, uh, 
in this series, we're going to see rock fights. We're going to see a bunch of different types of games because of the different types of ways that these teams can cause problems for each other. But make no mistake, in game one, the Laker identity of size and physicality and defense won the day. Anthony Davis, 30 points and 23 rebounds, was a freaking monster on the defensive end of the floor everywhere. Um, LeBron James couldn't buy a jump shot to save his life, but he had a lot of success around the rim and attacking in transition. Um, the Warriors ran a lot of drop coverage um, in their sets against Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell. I think that's interesting. That reminded me of game one of the Memphis LA series where Austin Reeves was really, really good early, just attacking in pick and roll. Those guys love to operate in that short to mid range with little floaters and pull up shots and things along those lines. I think Golden State, another adjustment that's available for them is what Memphis did. Just start switching everything. The, bait the Lakers into their worst tendencies, which is stagnation, Anthony Davis and LeBron James settling for jump shots instead of attacking the rim, dribbling the shot clock out, not playing with any sort of pace or, or flow, right? So I'd like to see Golden State try to switch a little bit more as well. I think that could cause the Lakers some problems. One other schematic thing, and this is something to keep an eye on throughout the series. The, the Warriors did go on a run in the first half in that middle of the second quarter when the Lakers went up, I think like five or seven points or something like that. And the next thing you know, the Warriors were up by three or four. Um, and Jordan Poole hit a bunch of shots in that stretch and Clay Thompson hit a bunch of shots. And uh, I thought Jeff Angani did a really nice job of breaking down the reality of, of game plan discipline. Okay. So game plan discipline is like, hey, we have this list of rules that we ask everybody to to pay attention to in uh, on the, in their defensive responsibilities, right? And it's clear what the responsibilities are for the Lakers. It's LeBron James and Anthony Davis sitting back in the paint, but making reads, identify where the guards are. If they're in trouble, run up and offer help and then get back. But if they're not in trouble, sit back, right? And then all the guards are supposed to top lock and deny. And then when they get beat, they're supposed to lock and trail. That That's clearly what the um, uh, what the scheme is. But Troy Brown Jr. in particular, D'Angelo Russell got lost in a couple of these as well. But there's a, a bunch of plays there in that second quarter where Laker guards started to do things that are going to play directly into Golden State's hands. Dennis Schroeder was having a problem ducking under picks. That means instead of chasing over the top, you go underneath the pick, which gives the guard a moment of separation. Troy Brown Jr. kept trying to shoot the gap. What does that mean? Uh, we're chasing each other over a screen. Instead of me following him, I'm going to shoot under the screen. Problem is, is they train these guards to flare out in that instance, and the passers will throw that pass over the top, and then the screener can reverse the screen on Troy Brown and catch him, and then Clay Thompson can get free in the corner for like a, a, a flaring three out to the wing, right? When you get away from your game plan discipline, which is lock and trail, stay attached to your shooters, you're going to give up wide open looks. And that push and pull in the game plan is going to be something that we see throughout this series. In games that the Warriors win, the Lakers will not be as tight with their discipline. And in games that the Lakers win, the Warriors will not be as tight with their discipline. Same thing with helping. Like the, the Warriors need to load the paint up and try to take – the Lakers won the points in the paint battle 54-28 to 28 in this game. They committed a ton of fouls. They gave up uh, uh, 29 free throw attempts. And again, a lot of people are going to talk about the free throw disparity. I'm glad Jeff, Jeff Van Gundy pointed it out. It's something I've been pointing out all season. The Lakers are one of the best teams in the league at defending without fouling and one of the best teams in the league at drawing fouls. And the Warriors are one of the worst teams in the league at both. So you're going to see a huge free throw disparity in just about every single one of these games. You guys might as well get used to it. Even Steve Kerr in his third quarter or in his post-halftime interview told one of the reporters um, covering the game that 
um, that he didn't think it was a, an officiating problem. It's just the reality of them fouling. They need to pack the paint, make things more congested. That even makes it harder for the referees to see the contact, the contact that's taking place, makes you get away with more fouling, and forces LeBron James and Anthony Davis to pay, play in traffic. I thought... Golden State kind of stayed a little bit too home off the ball and let uh, the Lakers be too comfortable. But size one in this game. Um, shout out to Jared Vanderbilt defensively, Anthony Davis defensively, and scoring in the paint. Um, again, LeBron James, I thought, played a solid game. D'Angelo Russell, especially in the first half, made a bunch of big plays. A really solid effort from a really good Lakers team. And I think there's some good opportunity for the Warriors to find counters. Again, I'd, lo- I'd love to see a lot more Steph high pick and roll. I'd love to see um, Clay Thompson uh, be a little bit more aggressive in that Austin Reeves matchup. He struggled in this particular game, but he did get some good looks in in the Austin Reeves matchup. Another thing you saw the Lakers do or the Warriors do at the end of the game, which I thought was really smart, is they started switching uh, or they started running guard to guard screens before the ball screen. So run a guard to guard screen to get Austin Reeves switched onto Steph, then run your ball screen because. Austin Reeves is one of those smaller, less athletic guards that's not going to bother Steph in a back pressure situation. There's so many counters available to both teams. There's going to be so many swings in this series. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you guys did too. Man, I, I would certainly love to see seven games of that. What an incredible game. I think I just about hit everything. Um, I, I, we're going to be going again tomorrow morning with the guys from Nerd Sesh, the uh, group that we... Um, uh, that we just brought on. You guys have heard, seen Carson on the show. So we'll, I'm going to watch this game over again in the morning and we'll touch it uh, in a deeper sense uh, from a film study point of view in tomorrow morning's matchup. Uh, in the meantime, let's move on to Knicks and Heat. So um, very interesting game because Eric Spolster went heavy on zone um, and the, and the, the Knicks in particular, I didn't think responded well to the way that, that, they, the way that they attacked the zone. Again, like we talked about, zone is designed to take away certain things and give other things, right? And so it's more about solving than brute force. And so a lot of teams play into the hands of the zone by making silly decisions, right? And a lot of the Knicks passing around the perimeter, taking contested threes instead of finding the open threes that were there in the zone. Um, They were not occupying the middle of the floor. A lot of this is Julius Randle, in my opinion. Julius Randle, like, and he had eight assists in this game. But Julius Randle's a little slow making reads. He's a little bit hesitant to to kind of like take what the defense gives him and tries to force the action a little bit. I'd love to see him operate out of the middle of the floor more. And it's a simple question of math. As soon as you get Julius Randle a catch at the top at the uh, at the uh, uh, free throw line, Bam Adebayo has to step up. If Bam Adebayo has to step up, suddenly if Mitchell Robinson is in the dunker spot, Julius Randle can just throw it up. It's a simple question of floor balance and occupying spots where zone defenders are and, and, and uh, filling two spots where a zone defender has to cover multiple spots, right? So Bam Adebayo is responsible for the rim, and he's also responsible for the foul line. So if you can occupy both of those spots by getting Julius Randle a catch and getting Mitchell Robinson opportunities around the rim – you can beat them quickly with like pass, pass, finish above the rim, right? But if you play directly into their hands by playing strictly on the perimeter and just jacking up shots, it, you're going to run into some problems. And it was a sophisticated zone. Like Eric's, one of the other best ways to attack zones, especially in the higher levels of basketball when you have great ball handlers, is to run ball screens, right? So if I've got, if I'm on the right side of the floor and I'm attacking the top right guy in the zone, 
if I set a screen on his outside, I can get downhill and draw one of the help defenders and, and make an easy read out to one of those two guys, right? But Spolstra was having the other guard just sprint over and essentially show on that uh, ball screen, right? Julius Randall or uh, Jalen Brunson actually ended up hitting a tough contested three over Caleb Martin in one of those sequences at the end of the uh, towards the end of the fourth quarter. Credits to the Knicks, they made a, a bunch of big plays down the stretch. Um, Two plays in particular, Jalen Brunson hit that pull-up three on the right wing that I was talking about against that uh, ball screen coverage in the zone that Spolster was using. And then there was that play where Julius Randle just bullied his way inside. Again, I talked a lot about how, uh, and this is going to matter more when Jimmy's out there and they're running less zone. The Knicks are eventually going to solve the zone and then Spolster will have to go back to using it in spurts rather than using it in larger doses. Again, like I said, there's just too many smart basketball players on the floor. But when they're doing that switching, that's another big thing that Julius Randle is going to need to do. Just back his way down, get to that elbow area where he can either shoot over the top of a smaller guard in a high percentage short range jump shot, or he can draw a second defender and make a kickout pass. He had a really nice play at the end of this game where he backed his way down, drew the help defender, kicked it to Josh Hart in the right corner, and he knocked it down. So credit to the Knicks for battling through, but I mean, look, I'm seriously fearful for them uh, because their guards are not playing as well as I thought. The uh, Heat guards continue to basically play the Knicks guards to a standstill, which is a big problem. In my opinion, you can't be getting you know Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly scoring less points than Kyle Lowry and Gabe Vincent. Like that's going to be a problem. Right. So I, I, I need to see I need to see the the Knicks guards playing better. Um, uh, over the course of this series, to feel confident about their chances to win. Um, but I, but they, you know, at the end of the day, and I'll say the same thing about the Lakers. They blew a what a thirteen point lead or twelve point fourth quarter lead, but a win is a win. And um, uh, and that's the same thing here. Like it was an ugly game. They got flummoxed by the zone, but they got the win, and that's all that matters. They're going to need to make the necessary adjustments going into Game Three in Miami. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys for supporting the show. We will be back tomorrow with the Nerd Sesh guys, and I will see you guys then. The Volume. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.